Okay, if you're new, uh, or if you're new the last couple weeks, um, Dan, our pastor of mission practice, uh, kind of took over the helm here uh, a couple of weeks uh, while I was doing some vacationing, and um, it was a great vacation for me, um, but I also got a chance to catch up on what Dan uh, shared with you guys, and I am so thrilled that uh, he was able to kind of walk you through some really difficult passage. Um, chapter 11, um, super pumped. I wasn't here for that, uh, preaching that, so... Uh, um, I didn't plan that, but I was pretty pumped. So, um, but you know, Dan's just got this huge heart for uh, unpacking communion and the Lord's table. And um, so, if you missed any of those the last two weeks, I would love for you to catch up. Uh, today, we're going to be jumping into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have a Bible, uh, this is where Paul begins to talk about the Spirit what the Spirit is, what the Spirit does, and it's really, today is an intro to a number of weeks we're going to be talking about the Spirit, what the Spirit does, and, and i got to be honest with you today, um, as I've been studying and reading and prepping and listening, um, I have been pretty kind of, well, I've been wrecked a little bit on just how I've read this passage of Scripture before and how I've misread it. And how I've been mistaught it. And how I have mistaught it. And, um, and so if you've been a follower of Jesus for some time, hopefully this will be a fresh perspective on how the Spirit moves in, on, and through you. And so this morning, we're going to start in Isaiah. And we're going to do a little brief uh, ramp up to get to where we're talking about today. And I've got to go quick because I don't have much time. So Isaiah 42, verse 1, it says this. Here's my my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nation. God is speaking and he's looking to the future and he's looking to primarily, specifically, the future Messiah. And when Messiah comes, God says, I will put my spirit on him and on Messiah. And the result of that is he's going to bring justice to the nations. He's going to, it's really a Hebrew way of saying that Messiah is going to put the world back together. Messiah is going to put the world to rights. Everything in its place. And then we're going to skip up to Isaiah 61, and, and here is a poetic way where, uh, where God puts words in the mouth of the future Messiah. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, and, and that word anointed is, um, technically that's a word that we use a lot, we hear a lot, some people, oh, that person's so anointed, whatever. Uh, God's, this is where God's spirit okay, is on somebody and working through somebody to bring the world, to bring the world or people into kind of emancipation, if that makes any sense. So, and to continue on, he says, anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness uh, for the prisoners. And then notice the language, on me. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And it it goes on to say, uh, you can go to the next slide, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor on the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So this idea that the spirit of the Lord is on me, I'm the Messiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And the meaning behind this is that 
um, that, that God is going to put on the Messiah, the Spirit. Now, fast forward hundreds, hundreds of years. This is, this is Isaiah. This is the prophet of Isaiah saying these things, preparing the people of Israel for Messiah. And in uh, Luke's gospel, um, Luke starts off um, with this, this beautiful picture. I mean, it's, it starts with the birth of Jesus, and it fast forwards about three decades And then it says in verse 21 of chapter 3, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. See, Jesus goes into the Jordan, he's baptized comes up out of the water, and God's Spirit comes on Jesus. Okay? This is huge language. God's Spirit comes on Jesus, and as a result, look what happens. First story we read about Jesus after he's baptized. He's preached. The first story when he preaches, chapter 4, it says this. Jesus returned to Galilee, and then it says, listen, to the, look at this phrase. In the power of the Spirit. This is really important for you to understand. In the power of the Spirit. That is there for a reason. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written... This is Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the, the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. As you can imagine, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, meaning Jesus sits, he sits down and he says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I am Messiah. I've come to set the people free from disease, sickness, uh, religiosity and shame and guilt and to make public that God is alive and here and at work in the world. Notice Luke tells the story, and it's like an outline for what's about to happen in his life, in in Jesus' life. For the next three years, Jesus preaches the gospel, right? He heals the sick. He sets people free. He proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. And listen, this is so important. This This is, if you don't, if you misunderstand this, you're gonna misunderstand a lot. Jesus does all of that Isaiah stuff, okay? Look back at 14. All that Isaiah stuff. In the power of the Spirit. It's really important that we get that. Memorize that. All over Scripture, all over the New Testament. In the power of the Spirit. Or Jesus filled with the Spirit. Says it over and over and over and over and over again. Now, if you misunderstand this, you're going to misunderstand Jesus. And we're really good at misunderstanding Jesus. 
okay? You will ultimately, if you misunderstand Jesus, you're going to misunderstand the Spirit, you're going to misunderstand God, and you're going to misunderstand this passage we're about to dive into because you, and, and you have to get this, Jesus does all of that stuff, preaching, healing, casting out demons, all that stuff in the power of the Spirit, not because he's God. You're like, wait a second, what are you saying, Ryan? Not because he's God, but because he's filled with the Spirit. See, the vast majority of people think that Jesus does all that stuff because he's God. And yes, he is God. Absolutely, Jesus is God. I mean, he's God come among us, and that's how he does miracles. And the orthodox view of Jesus is he's always been, and he's, full, he's fully Jesus and fully God. And here's the problem. Most people outside of the church, okay, deny Jesus's divinity, deny the fully God part. But a lot of people inside the church don't really like to talk about the fully human part. We don't. See, listen, God in a human body is not God. It's not that humanity was like he was a ventriloquist dummy inside of a human body, right? Does that make sense? Like he wasn't just like, oh, I'll just, I'll just be God in this fleshly body. It was everything together. So we read in scripture, why was Jesus tired and hungry? Was he just pretending because he was God? He wasn't really tired and hungry, but he just wanted to make everybody feel like he was one of them, you know, one of the boys. No, I think he was really tired and hungry because he was fully human, Right? And then, uh, you know, is, it, was, he, was he just acting or was he sad? Was he actually a sad at, at a time? Was he, what, why did he ask questions if he knew the answer? Because he's God, right? I mean, these are all these things. The, the most orthodox position in Christianity has always been that in the incarnation, God in Jesus takes on flesh and blood and becomes human. Human. And in doing so, God, in his own free will, this is really important, he lays aside his powers. One theologian puts it, he lays down the God card. And God, I mean, think about it like this. We talk about, this is kind of a recent theological thing, but we talk about the fact that God is omnipresent, right? What does that mean? That God is everywhere at the same time, right? It's all places, right? Was Jesus omnipresent? No. And that would be pretty wild. And, and we talk about God being omniscient. Jesus asked questions. I mean, there was, in, in a sense, yes, there's this, this idea. It's really hard for us to get. In Jesus, God lays down the God card and does all the things he does in the power of the Spirit. He does it all because he's filled with the Spirit. And the only way to make sense of this is like there, somewhere between Chapter 3 and 4 in Luke, there's this part where it says Jesus filled with the Spirit. He goes into the desert, right? And um, Satan, the Satan tempts Jesus. And remember what the first temptation was? The first temptation was turn these stones into bread, right? Like, and that's weird, right? Because that doesn't seem like a very sinful act, right? Like you doing that bread thing again, right? 
Like, what is the temptation for Jesus in this moment? Actually, it's, it's more than that. It's to pick the God card back up. Right? That's what Satan, the Satan's trying to tempt him to pick back up the God card. Why does, why does God live, why, why does God and Jesus live Philippians 2 language? Why does he humble himself and live in dependence on the Spirit? Anybody have any thoughts on that? To show us. To show us. To show you and I how to live in the power of the Spirit. And if you miss that, you'll miss all kinds of crazy stuff Jesus says. Like, for instance, like the next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about the Spirit in, in this chapter. John 14 through 16, this week, I would encourage you to read it. This is like Jesus' biggest teaching on the Spirit coming and what that means. And, and in John 14, 12, it says this. Very truly I tell you, Jesus says this, whoever believes in me, whoever has faith in me, he will do works I've been doing. They'll do the same works I've been doing. And so raise your hand if you have faith in Jesus. Not everybody does. Like, so say, there's room like this. Not everybody has faith in Jesus. But if you have faith in Jesus, Jesus says, you're going to be doing what I'm doing. Like healing the sick and teaching and preaching and miracles and prophecy and casting out demons and declaring war on the power of evil in this world. Jesus says, if you have faith in me, you're going to be doing that stuff. It's like, whoa. But then it gets crazier. He says, and they will do even greater things than these. Like even greater things. What does he mean by that? Does he mean like bigger miracles no, I think really what Jesus means by that is like, there's a lot of you that are going to be doing the things that I was doing. So like, there's going to be a greater impact. Like this idea of being a Christian, being a Christ follower, this idea of being a micro Christ, millions and millions and billions all over the world throughout history will be doing the things of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Wow, right? And, and, and the, the disciples are like, well, how are we going to do greater things than you? And he's like, well, I'm going away. What? Like, look at this. Acts, like part one is Luke. Uh, Luke writes um, the Gospel of Luke. And part two is Acts. And, and, and Luke kind of starts it off like this. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he, gave, um, he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the days the father has set by his own authority. And he's like, he's like, get that out of your mind. 
and pay attention to your job. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Like, do you hear the language there? The same Spirit that was on Messiah, that God sent on Messiah, he says, that Holy Spirit is on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit comes in Jesus' place. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So this is really interesting, right? The Spirit comes on and in and through the followers of Jesus. So when Jesus was, you know, healing the sick, and then we see part two of the story, Peter starts to heal the sick. And Jesus is preaching, and then Peter is preaching. Jesus casts out demons. Philip casts out demons, Acts chapter 8. Jesus heals the sick. John heals the sick. Jesus raised people from the dead. Peter raises people from the dead. Jesus does miracles. Paul does miracles. Right? On and on and on, rereading the Jesus story through his followers. All over the world, all throughout history. No, here's the thing that's really important. You're not God, okay? But I'm saying that you have the same spirit on you and in you and working through you to carry the story forward. All of us. If you, if you follow Jesus, you have that same spirit. So really, in a sense, the story of Jesus is just getting started. And this is really important because I'm just taking a, just a dip into this passage today. Some of you are probably like, man, this, he's talking forever. No, I'm just getting through this as quick as I can. The story of Jesus lives on by the Spirit inside the followers of Jesus to push the story forward. So when you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, Paul that is the story we insert into this. I mean, we don't read parts of Scripture differently. This is all one story. And so if, the, if Jesus is teaching on the Spirit and, and God moving through the Messiah and all these things are true, then listen to this. Verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. When Paul says now about... Paul's, that's Paul's way of saying, let's talk about something new. Let's talk about something new. And in the next three chapters of the letter, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about the Spirit. And it's going to get really slippery here. Because this is that part I warned you about at the beginning that I misread, misunderstood. The phrase spiritual gifts is a really, really lousy translation really lousy. And the word gifts was inserted to make the understanding better. Meaning, there's one Greek word that we get the word spiritual gifts from. And it's pneumaticos. Can you say pneumaticos? Nailed it. It's two words put together. It's pneuma, which is the spirit. And in Greek, matikos means it's, it makes the pneuma plural. So really, the best translation for this is the spirituals, which is a little weird in English, right? And so the hard part is it can be translated 
the things the Spirit does, or the people of the Spirit, or the things the Spirit is up to, or the activity of the Spirit. Now, here's the thing, and this is where it's going to rock our worlds. The word gifts isn't even there. It's not there. In fact, here's the problem. The, word, the phrase spiritual gifts, those two words do not appear anywhere in the New Testament together. Nowhere. Wait, are you saying there's no such thing as spiritual gifts? Kinda. So what's happening here? Well, let's get into it. Because I spent so much time in Christian circles where you'd go on to a website and you'd fill out a little personality test and, oh, like I'm 75% administration. <laughs> or I'm 38% mercy. Right? And has anybody ever done this? Right? I'm like, oh, man. And it's like... It's like this idea of like a cereal box prize, you know what I mean? Where it's like, oh man, I got the secret decoder ring. Man, I just got this stupid ribbon or whatever, you know? And we think of things like, oh, we're getting doled out some things that are just for us. And I've done that. My guess is you've done that. Here's the thing. Paul uses the word spiritual all the time. He actually uses the word gift all the time, but he never uses them together. Ever. Like, I've really spent some time trying to figure this out. Never. And it's nowhere to be found in the New Testament. So remember, spiritual in our modern English, remember how we talked about that, what we think of when we hear the word spiritual? It's usually something like um, something esoteric or mystical or, or, or otherworldly. Remember what Paul means by spirit? Animated. Spiritual for Paul is animated by the spirit. Okay, so the opposite of spiritual in scriptures is not material and physical. It's not the opposite of it. And the, and the other problem with this phrase that does not exist is it puts the emphasis on the gift and not on the spirit, right? So you could be in circles of people that just get so excited about their gift and their this and their that, and it's almost like it's like a superpower, but you forget that it's the Spirit that's doing everything. So he goes on. Listen to this. He says, you know that when you were pagans, Gentiles, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Paul breaks down humanity into three groups. Gentiles. Jews and followers of Jesus. And so what he's doing is he's saying, okay, for those of you who are Gentiles, you were in pagan idolatry. You were led by that. In Jewish background, a lot of people who didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah would say, Jesus be cursed. Jewish people who didn't follow Messiah would say, Jesus be cursed. Why? Because he, they didn't believe he was Messiah. And if you claim to be Messiah, you should be cursed. And so what Paul is saying is, when someone says Jesus is Lord, first of all, that was a very scandalous thing to say. And it was a very scandalous thing to say because the whole drumbeat of the time was Caesar is Lord. And so if you said 
Caesar wasn't Lord by putting Jesus in Caesar's place, well, that could be a death penalty. And so what Paul is saying is nobody would say Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit, no one would put their neck on the line and say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so you have the Holy Spirit, and he would drive that point into them over and over and over again. He says, you follow Jesus, you have the Spirit. You have the same Spirit in you and on you and wanting to work through you, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead, the same one that was on Jesus while he was doing miracles and healing the sick and casting out demons and preaching. The question is, how? And then Paul starts... Paul starts in here. He says, there are different kinds of gifts. Notice how it doesn't say spiritual gifts. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. See, he's really genius here because Paul uses the analogy of the Trinity God expressed in three persons, the Spirit, the Lord, which is Jesus, and God the Father, three in one, expressing themselves in creatively diverse ways through three different uh, areas, okay? And it's kind of an analogy, um, and, and really, this is how this works, and th this is the best way to, that I was able to break this down for you. The Holy Spirit moves the story of Jesus into the world, through the world, through three different ways. First is gifts. Now listen to this. This is really important because you're probably going, wait, didn't he? Listen. Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same sp Spirit distributes them. Fast forward, okay? Fast forward to Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. This is really important. He says this. We have different gifts. Paul does not say we have different spiritual gifts. He says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Okay? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. That sounds like kind of a big one, right? Like, a, ooh, very spiritual. But look at the next one. If it is serving, then serve. <laughs> right? That doesn't sound, I mean, that's just serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. See, we get really off track. We define some of these things as very supernatural gifts, right? They're supernatural things like, oh, wow, they're super special. And they're like, they're like you know, different powers of like, uh, like comic book superhero type powers, right? You know, and we, and we, we get all into this and, and we're going to get into prophecy and some of those things, but serving, encouraging, teaching. These are like really important things. Actually, I think they're gifts that you have already. I mean, like, have you ever had someone saying, man, that so-and-so's got a gift for this? They just have a gift for, they just have a gift for people in need. Like, like you know what blows me away is people that deal with, with folks who are like in hospice or dealing with really painful things. Like, that is a gift, right? Like, that is an amazing gift, like, to be able to just sit with someone in their pain and in the, the last moments of their life and bring them comfort. 
Like, I think people have that gift already. Like, I know people who don't follow Jesus that have that gift. And, and you're like, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying, is when you start to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit crashes into your life, and, and the Spirit picks up and animates and even magnifies the gifts that you already have and repurposes those gifts, right, for the story of Jesus moving forward. Right? And now I think there's sometimes in our lives where we, you're just like a, uh, you're, you're, when you come to follow Jesus, there's things that just come out of you that were never there before. And I agree with that. But the Spirit reshapes the, the topography of your personality and reshapes your born in gifts and pushes those towards the story of God. The point is, whatever your gift is, that you have, whatever, whatever you're wired for, how are you leveraging that towards the story of God? Second thing he says is, um, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And, and there's places, here's, here's the deal with that. There's different places that you and I are called to serve and your function in the story of God and, and, and your job is to find that place and whether it's children or, or, with, or with people uh, in, in addiction or whatever it is, places you cannot shake, that you were lured to or that you were pulled towards. This is the, the services, like the Spirit's activity in your life. And then the, the third one is workings. It says there are different kinds of workings, but in all of them, in, in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, workings, the really important technical definition here is, I mean, it's really technical. The stuff the Spirit does. Like, it's just moments when the Spirit of Jesus shows up and is just moving. I mean, it's not about gifts. And it's not about superpowers. He's, he's, he's talking about moments when you live open, okay, to the Spirit of God in your life, when, when God's spirit is on you and he speaks through you and, and to others, and it just might be a momentary thing. And the point of all this is to say, if you narrow down everything to a checkbox, like to a, you limit God. If you, you just narrow it down to, well, I'm 64% mercy. You just limit God. Because God wants to move in and through you. Wherever you are, wherever, whenever you're there, he is alive and active and willing to work through his people all over the world. And this is the final verse, and we're almost done. Verse 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. If you follow Jesus, and God's Spirit is on you and in you and through you, God wants to manifest that through you for the common good, for each other, each one. That's not a limited group of people. That's each of us, the Spirit manifesting through us, and it's given not for you, but for somebody else, for each other. And the last thought of the day, and this frames everything, the point of the gifts is not the gifts. The point is the fruit coming from your life. 
That's the point. And all the talk about the Holy Spirit, um, it's for the common good. The best question for me to ask is, um, what can the Spirit do through me? What can the Spirit do through you? And I just got to ask three questions. These are just kind of evaluative questions, very simple questions for you as we close. First one is this. Do you want the Holy Spirit? Right? Do you even want the Holy Spirit? A couple follow-ups for that. Are you you tired of living um, kind of a flat, boring, cerebral faith? Just a knowledge consumption faith. But do you want to know God? Do you want to have a dynamic, interactive relationship with the Spirit that stretches you and challenges you to step out? See, here's the thing. You're not going to get that from the Bible. You're not going to get that from a a weekly church service. You're only going to understand and and know and experience this by opening yourself up to the Spirit in your life. Second question I have for you is this. Why don't you want the Holy Spirit? Like for... Maybe, maybe some of you are like, I just want an experience of the Spirit, or I want a feeling. But the Spirit is for the common good. So it's not meant for you to have like this spiritual moment out in the mountains by yourself. The Spirit's meant to work through you for the common good. And the last one is this. Where does the Holy Spirit of Jesus want to carry forward the story in and through my life? Where does the Holy Spirit want to carry forward the story in or through my life? And this, ladies and gentlemen, is just to set up the opening moment for us over the next seven or eight weeks. So I want to encourage you, if you're like me, and it's been, the Trinity has really been um, God, Jesus, and the Holy Scriptures, and you're really not sure what the Spirit does or how the Spirit works. And, and that's been something in your life that you're, you're, you're wanting to know more and you want to experience more. I want you to be here. Because Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, is directing them forward in the way of the Spirit. Let's-